Welcome to the Panza Panza Forum. In the Yoruba language, the word panza is usually injected into poetry to express an uncomfortable, uncensored and inconvenient truth. The Panza Panza Forum is candid conversations about the life of African immigrants in America as it relates to their adaptation to their new home. While some may find it easy to integrate and can balance between retaining the original African culture while accepting the culture of their new home, many continue to struggle to find a balance between both worlds. Hello and welcome to Panza Panza Live. This is a podcast where we discuss the lives of African immigrants and their assimilation into Western society as they raise younger generations in a country that is quite different from their own. We also explore the experiences of children of immigrants as they balance the African and Western cultures. We present to you this informative, interesting, and expansive dialogue about the intricate experiences of African immigrants in America. Okay, welcome to Pansa Pansa. I'm your host, Kemi Seriki, and today I'm having a conversation with Oludara Adeyo, a psychiatrist, social worker, and a psychiatrist based in Los Angeles, California. Oludara is a returning guest on this platform. She came here in 2021, before her first book was published, which was in 2021. Her first book is titled Self-Care for Black Women. And she is here today to talk about her second book titled Affirmation for Black Women. I'd like to also discuss and explore your first book at the same time. So just to give a little bit of background, a short bio of my guest today, Oludara. Like I said, she's a psychotherapist based in Los Angeles, California. She works as a psychiatric social worker where she assists individuals experiencing homelessness, severe and persistent mental illness. Adeyo is passionate about helping people improve their overall well-being, especially Black women, which you could tell from the two books that she has. Before becoming a clinical social worker, Adeyo spent seven years plus working as a writer and editor. She was an associate web editor at Cosmopolitan and managing editor at XXL. So welcome again, Oludara Adeyo. I'm so delighted that you're here to talk about your book. You've published two books in one year. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Who does that? Only (laughs) Nigerian heritage. Yes. <laughs> Only someone with Nigerian heritage. <laughs> because Nigeria never carry last. Nah, I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I I congratulate you so much on your publication and I'm so proud of you for what you're doing. So the last time you were on this platform, we didn't discuss it, like I said, because it was not yet released. Mm-hmm. Would you like to talk about your first book on self-care mm-hmm. for black women to our yeah, audience? Absolutely. Absolutely. So self-care for Black women, it was a guide. It had 150 practical tips to help Black women practice self-care or begin their self-care journey. Each tip was broken into three sections, mind, body, and soul. Mind focused on like mental health, emotional health. Body was physical health and soul was spiritual health, which has to do with, it can be religion. It can be 
your faith. But when we talk about the soul health, we're talking about things that connect you to other people and the world. Thank you so much for that. Mm -hmm. So the book was really highly rated on Amazon by the readers Mm -hmm. who read the book, including Boston Globe. Why did you think it's so important to prioritize self-care should be important to Black women in general? Yeah, I think across the African diaspora, Black women definitely experience a lot of oppression. Our needs are not prioritized by anyone else and even ourselves. The world tells us how we should show up. The world likes to tell us what we should be, what our life should look like. So often because that happens, we tend to abandon ourselves. We tend to abandon our wants and our desires. And because of that, I think self-care is a great way to return back to yourself to do some internal healing, some self-healing, so you can be closer to your intuition, to yourself, and really start living a life that you love and want. Yeah. And I believe many people will resonate with many of the advices that you provided in the book. And I love the dedication you made to your mom Mm -hmm. on self-care for Black women. Mm -hmm. If I may read that portion, for your mom, who did not live long enough to experience the peace of radical self-care. Would you like mm-hmm. to further talk about her? Maybe other women yeah. from my experiences. Yeah, you know, my mom definitely is a inspiration in my journey of self-care and also encouraging others to embrace a life filled with rest. It's because I didn't really experience my mom be a woman who was restful. There was always some form of anxiety, some form of stress in her life. And, you know, she was an immigrant in this country. And so, you know, that played a factor in it, trying to figure out what she wanted to do with her life as well. She had many professions, but also I think just in regard to like Nigerians, I feel like in that culture, there's just so much pressure put on women to take care of the household, take care of their partner, take care of everything. And I just feel like she never really got to just experience rest. And because of that, you know, my mom was very uh, infamous in my family for ignoring her health. So as we know, stress causes diseases, it causes illnesses. But also if you're not going and getting yourself checked up when you feel something's off, it can grow into something worse. So ultimately my mom died of illnesses and it was just like she one day fell down the stairs, but she was fine. But then it turned out she like had hurt her knee and then it turned into finding out she had rheumatoid arthritis and then it just turned into oh she wasn't taking care of her anemia so now that's a factor and she just never her body just never fully recovered from just like I guess being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis it just never she just never recovered but Before that, before being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and going through all her health issues and and then eventually passing away, it's like, I, when I look back, I was like, yeah, you know, I never really saw my mom take care of herself properly. She always ignored her health, always ignored her needs. And so I learned that. I learned that Mm -hmm. and pushed myself beyond measure and doing so. Uh, or in seeing that, now I am trying to unlearn that so that I don't repeat anything from the past. And that's very important because like you said, African women will carry so much burden of trying to make the marriage work. 
Mm-hmm. You know, trying to take care of the children as if we're so superpower, yes. because mm-hmm. the society, the culture actually puts so much pressure on women by themselves, whereby, you know, everybody else is much more important yes. than you yourself, because it's as if the success of, you know, child upbringing, child rearing, marriage depends on you. You mm-hmm. have to carry the weight. The weight is not on the man, but rather is on the woman. Yeah, the Yoruba always say have a saying that "Omotoba daniti babai That means a well-raised child belongs to the father. The one who disgraced the family names belongs to the mother. Wow! So I just broke something to you for you tonight. Wow! So that patriarchal structure is embedded in Nigerian culture. In Nigerian culture. In Nigerian culture. It comes in so many proverbs. It Mm -hmm. tends to kind of like give a leeway to men to focus more on taking care of the family, women taking care of their husband, taking care of the children, taking care of extended Mm -hmm. family from their part, from the husband's part as well. So it's a lot of all those things that couple together because when a marriage breaks down, most of the time it's women that get the blame. Yeah, you're right. So as a daughter of a Nigerian immigrant who grew up in an immigrant home, I may have witnessed many challenges, like you said, about your mom in America. We were not just face racial prejudice, mm-hmm. but also experienced biases based on our immigrant status. Yes. Okay, many of us are constantly reminded that we don't belong based on our race, country of origin, our religion, or we may not even be considered to be black enough. Mm-hmm. And in your book, you talked about race-based traumatic stress, mm-hmm. self-care in a male-controlled society and radical self-care. How can we convince immigrant women who are experiencing this level of oppression that self-care for black women is also applicable to them? It's interesting you say the whole not black enough. And I understand what you're saying with that. I'm not considered black American, right? And in that culture, and there is the infighting in the African diaspora. But to any immigrant black woman who may feel like, or African who may feel like this book is not for them, I would say you're wrong. (laughs) Because now you're in a land definitely that is going to impact you. And is not going to see you as just whichever country of origin you're from. They're going to just see you as Black because that's just how the structures are mm-hmm. heavily in this country. And there's no escaping it, right? And sometimes you feel like you can shield yourself because you're not a descendant of American slaves here. But the reality is that when someone looks at us, even before opening our mouth, you know, they're going to think, oh, that's a Black person. I'm going to treat them with the racial biases I have in my head. But in the book, I do talk, I believe I talk about how like we've got to unlearn internalized racism, which is what leads us to being very divided in the African diaspora, thinking that one of us is better than the other or not enough. Yeah, it's a lot to dig into that because, you know, one thing I see, we have to respect individuals' differences mm-hmm. because we all yeah. have differences, you know. Yeah, but like Even within Nigeria, you could be Igbo, I, I'm Yoruba, mm-hmm. there's some differences in the culture, mm-hmm. um, the way we do things and all that stuff. So it's very important to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I understand the fact that even many African immigrants might not see themselves as being Black because that's not part of their experience. 
Right. It's not that they don't really see themselves as being black, but if mm. it's something is not part of your experience, you don't even know. You right. might be experiencing racism and bias that you don't even know that that's what mm-hmm. you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Or you might think they just don't like you. Right. Which is often what a lot of African immigrants may feel like. Like, oh, this person is just treating me differently because they don't like me or they think I'm stupid or da da da. But I think it's required work to kind of realize that the systems in this country are different and the yeah. treatment is different and that racial biases are very like real. It's very real. And it's, you know, it takes work to like kind of unlearn or learn that, mm-hmm. learn that that's like what's happening. Cause sometimes you just don't want to believe it, but it's real. Yeah. To me, you know, being that I've been in this country for a long time and I expose myself to African-American history, the history of people of African descent in general, not many Africans, only those who have the opportunity to go to college. Mm-hmm. There's so many of us who didn't have that opportunity to be able to go to college, to university, to take classes in Black studies, which mm-hmm. is not part of mandatory requirement, yeah. mm-hmm. okay, which is very sad. Mm-hmm. And not only that, what is being taught in school, in colleges, is actually watered down. Mm-hmm. If you want to know the deep history in itself, you yeah. have to do that research on your own. And then yeah. you have many African immigrants who, they, you know, they have language barrier mm-hmm. and they're struggling to make ends meet every day. Yeah. You know, so it's not something that even crossed their mind that this is what I have to think about right now. You know, right. it's not a priority. It's not a priority, you know, mm-hmm. so... But I believe, you know, some of them listening to this, you know, said, you know what, maybe it's something that I should actually start thinking about. And I know historically all over the world, women are subjected to unfair treatment based on their gender, mm-hmm. discrimination yeah. and inequality. Whether you are from Africa, Middle East, Asia, mm-hmm. even in first world, such as in USA and in Europe, do you think some of the self-care principle could also applicable to some of these women. In other parts of the world? Yes. I would say so. Mm-hmm. I would say so because, you mean non-Black women? Because, you know, I look at some of the uh, very good phrases that you have here, challenging your negative talk, self-talks. Yes. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Those yeah, kind of things. Uh-huh. I definitely feel like, in general, my books definitely can apply to other people. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel like they are very helpful because, I mean, what's beautiful about like the Black African experience or just the Black experience is that a lot of the oppression we go through is something that a lot of people go through as well, except ours is a little bit different and might even be worse. Well, yeah. don't want to compare oppression, but mm-hmm. like it's just a different degree. So, yeah, I definitely feel like there could be things that someone who isn't African or isn't Black can take from the book as well. Because a lot of the stuff I talk about in my books may feel generic sometimes. But the point of my work is that I want Black women specifically to humanize themselves. And I feel like a lot of our oppression and a lot of our experiences derive from us being dehumanized. And that is a common experience with women, but especially Black women mm-hmm. and any woman a part of the African diaspora. Yeah, because I look at some of what you said, embracing being Black and sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, there's like, I feel like 
well, there is a stigma or kind of persona that Blackness is very, like, demonized. It's very antagonized. That's the word I want to use. It's very antagonized. It's seen as bad. Like, every, Black is bad. White is good. And so sometimes, as a Black person, you're expected to be a little bit harder. You're expected to just have this persona that people have seen on tv and have created stereotypes around but it's like you're allowed to just be who you were created to be if it's sensitive if it's not right and so that's the point you know it's like you can be sensitive and it's okay and sometimes we're the worst enemy of each other because we tend to police one another right in terms of you you shouldn't be sensitive why are you not strong enough to take that because there's a saying that I hear so much, you know, from people of color, oh, we're black, you know, we're stronger ancestor went through slavery mm-hmm. and you know, we should be able to do the same thing. So we normalize yes. this kind of lack of sensitivity or sh- lack of showing emotion. Yes. And then it breaks down to other things. It wrap other things around it. And then mm-hmm. it will come an outburst. Yeah. And that's part of what creates, you know, physical health issue. For mm-hmm. so many of us, you know. Right. Dumbing down or ignoring your anger, ignoring your emotions can definitely lead to increasing your stress, increasing mm-hmm. your anxiety, which can mm-hmm. definitely lead to health issues and so forth. Yeah, I definitely feel like as a collective, we are very afraid to be filled with emotion or express emotion because there used, there were consequences to emotion. Yeah. Either side of the Atlantic slave trade, whether on the continent or off the continent, there was, you know, consequences to whatever emotion you showed that wasn't happy. So we can sometimes feel like we have to be strong to protect ourselves. But the reality is we don't have to. We don't have to. It's a lot. It's a that's a big burden to put on yourself. Yeah. But and you said something regarding stop policing your speech. One thing Mm -hmm. that I see with us when we are among non-black people mm-hmm. we police our speech much more we have right. a- <laughs> mm-hmm. well i think it's more like code switching right like we want to depending on who we're talking to we want to code switch but like as far as like policing your speech it's definitely like sometimes you're afraid to talk a certain way or speak with a certain tone because uh, we've seen the videos online where a black person could just be talking calmly and a white person is like, why are you yelling at me? Why are you so angry? And it's just like, okay. So that can make you not want to get, that can make you to police your speech to mm-hmm. try to control how you react and thinking that it'll keep you safe. But, you know, I say, stop doing that to free yourself from that burden and understand that how someone just reacts to your speech is not really, you can't control that. You see, I have, you know, all kinds of things mapped on the book already. (laughs) You talk about stop educating people on racism. Yes. What Mm -hmm. does that mean? That means it is not your job to educate people on racism because that can be very tiring. And that can be, it could be other Black people, but specifically people who aren't Black. Because a lot of people like to put the burden of fixing racism on the oppressed. Mm -hmm. And it is not our job to fix that. We didn't create racism. We're the victims. Mm -hmm. So it's like asking a victim to solve their own crime. 
what often happens is that people do like to put black people in positions to kind of educate them on things within the culture, within cultures, it can be tiring. And so, and it can be very triggering as well. Mm -hmm. It can trigger negative feelings about yourself and it's not healthy. So I personally avoid it. I usually just prescribe books for people. I said, right now, I I can't teach you anything. If you could pick this book and that book, maybe it could be able to help you. Mm -hmm. Personally, if somebody asks me about my culture, because I've seen many African-American, even people from the Caribbean who ask me about certain part of my culture, of course, you know, I'll be willing to answer to that. But when it comes to, like you said, the idea of racism, it is so broad and there's no way somebody like an individual to teach another person about that. Mm-hmm. So it's actually better for that person to pick up a book or yeah. go on YouTube and listen to some lectures, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> yeah, educate yourself. Educate right. yourself exactly. because, you know, I can't do that for you. And I like the fact that you say, say no, mm-hmm. which is something that Black women don't do at all. No, we feel like we have to say yes to everything. <laughs> that we don't have options in life, that we have to get married, that we have to have children, we have to get this job, do, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Again, you know, it's like ignoring yourself, ignoring your needs, ignoring what you want to do. And there's power in no, you know, so. And you mentioned something about identifying coping skill. What does that mean? You know, where you talk about uh, when it comes to mental health, you are in charge. Identifying coping skills are very important to practicing self-care because you need to know what works for you. So coping skills can be activities. They can be some form of exercise, meditation, music. The book itself, a lot of those tips are coping skills because it's like exercises that you can do, whatever tips I've provided, not necessarily physical exercise. So coping skills are things that you regularly do or things that you do when you are in distress. Mm -hmm. So the idea of self-care is that it's preventative care. And so that like anytime you get into a moment of distress, such as maybe you've got a coworker who is microaggressive, Mm -hmm. meaning they make comments maybe about your hair all the time. Mm -hmm. And instead of constantly being angry about it or just being so emotionally distressed about it, you've already been engaging in coping skills and you have several things that you can do to make sure you are not emotionally overwhelmed to the point that you just can't go about your day or and so forth. Yes. That's very important. And you know, I'm I'm saying all these things to let people know, Mm -hmm. especially for African immigrants, some of this area that you mentioned is very important to our people. That's why I'm picking on some of these, you know, Mm -hmm. to show that is a book to actually pick up and refer to all the time. And you said don't become someone's emotionally dumping ground, which is so common. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because people love to come to us and just tell us all their business. And then now you're left with the the garbage (laughs) that they dumped on you. You know, the residue of everything they they dumped on you. And this is something I found that is a common thing amongst my black girlfriends. It's like you, I mean, not maybe not anymore, but like, you know, you encounter people who just for some reason put black women in the mammy stereotype. 
you know, mm-hmm. the one where you're just taking care of everyone. And because of that, they just feel like they can just tell you whatever. But that self-care tip is also about creating boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. like with friends, family, whoever, you know, if people in your life have issues and they want to come to you with them, if you're not ready to help them deal with that, then you got to be able to build up the courage to say, I don't have the space for this right now. Maybe we can talk about it another time. But again, it's about helping Black women build boundaries, build the ability to say no, builds the ability to kind of just make choices that benefits them versus others, okay. which I feel like is so important for especially African women. You know, we just feel like we have to just do whatever men say, do you know, do whatever the elders say. And to go back to saying no, which I feel like is so important, especially for African women, is like we always just have to say yes to everything, you know, when an elder or your husband asks you to go cook, you got to go cook when, you know, all these things that are in the culture that don't give the women the the agency, they don't give the women the, the free will to kind of make choices for themselves. It's so true what you said. And that emotional dumping ground, one thing that I find out when people know you are the type of person they could always dump on, mm-hmm. when something is going on with you, Mm-hmm. They are not actually there for you to dump on them. Exactly. So they could dump on you, but you cannot dump on them. And one thing that I will tell you personally myself, before I started having my children, I used to be like that, where everybody will call, you know, you listen to their stuff and everything. But the moment I started having my children and I said, no, I can't do this. And one thing that I put in my, as a way to cope with it was to not pick up my phone in the evening. I don't pick up phone at night. That's good. good. If you want to call me, we talk during the day. When I come home, my children at home, no phone calls unless it's emergency. Mm-hmm. So as time goes on, people got accustomed to that and they call you less <laughs> and less and say, this person is never available for this wow. kind of conversation. <laughs> you know, so, and you talk about something that I also saw that I think I wanted to discuss, which you said, always find a black doctor or a black therapist. We know the medical field is racist. It's definitely got its racial bias. We mm-hmm. see it in the statistics of maternal deaths, how black women, especially in this country and the United States, three times more likely to die because of childbirth, whether mm-hmm. it's before they give birth, during birth, or after birth. It's important to find someone that you feel like can relate to you. And often that can be a Black doctor. It can make you feel safer. It can make you be more inclined to go see medical attention because we do know that, like, especially in the United States, there isn't a great history amongst Black Americans and the medical field. It's a lot of history of just using black people as guinea pigs yeah there's a lot of mistrust there so hopefully getting a black doctor or a black therapist will help you want to be engaged in treatment that could better yourself but i will say you know sometimes a good doctor doesn't always have to be a black doctor right it's about finding a doctor who listens to you who listens to you Mm -hmm. and i think it's even better to talk about reconstructing the healthcare industry in itself We train the healthcare provider, both physically and emotional, on equal treatment for the masses that they are built to serve. 
I think mm -hmm. that's much more important. So now let's talk about your book, Affirmation for Black Women. Yes. I know that's the latest, you know. Yes. So what are the affirmation and why do you think affirmation is important to black women? Mm -hmm. If we have to put self-care at the forefront of our lives. So affirmations are positive statements that you use to kind of affirm yourself, to build up yourself. Mm -hmm. And the idea of affirmations is that it helps you build up your self-confidence, your self-trust, so that you can basically begin to create live, manifest the life that you want. Mm -hmm. And this book is a journal. So there's an affirmation. And then I wrote a journal prompt. Mm -hmm. And the reason that is, is because yes, you can read the affirmation and you can say it to yourself 10 times a day and continue to say it until you really believe it and begin to see the fruits of that affirmation in your life. But journaling allows you to have a moment to reflect to listen to yourself. And I feel like that is so important and something that I constantly want Black women to do because it's so important for us to return to ourselves, to return to our intuition. Because like we've been discussing, right? Like the world is always trying to control us. So then you abandon yourself. You don't know what you want. You don't know what kind of life you want. Then you don't have the life that you want then you're not living your full life the way God, the world, the, your higher power wants you to live. And affirmations is a great place to start because I believe if you can change your mind, you can change your behavior. You can change your world. That's so true. So do you think affirmation is in our daily lives or use affirmation when we are facing challenges or doubt is very important? I think absolutely we should be using affirmations in our daily lives and when you're facing challenges, because again, it's kind of rethinking, reworking the way your mind is thinking, because often our times, our mind is very negative. It wants to go towards the negative and it wants to talk badly about ourselves. And it's really important that we love ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when you love yourself and you're taking care of yourself, you can really just get through your hard times. Mm -hmm. So can you also say daily affirmation is a form of prayer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a form of prayer, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because you're connecting to yourself and you're connecting to God. And I feel like affirmations kind of aligning you with what God wants. And, you know, God wants you to just have a full life. And if he wants you to have a full life, then you need to know yourself. And if you also believe that God is in you and God is in the world, then you really need to clear up what is blocking God within you. And so that's very important. And you talk about manifesting your goals with affirmation. Uh -huh. Can you further talk about that? Yes. So with affirmations and manifestation, and I know that word, some people will think it's like a magical word, but you know, manifesting really just means seeing the things that you want in this life come to fruition and just really achieving them. So using affirmations to manifest things honestly is about setting intentions. So it's being intentional with the world, being intentional with God and really kind of aligning 
with God and the universe in what you want. Mm -hmm. So when you begin to affirm kind of the things that you want to believe about yourself or in the direction you want to go, or you want to feel better about yourself, you'll begin to move differently. You begin to behave differently because now you're believing these things and it'll motivate you to kind of take action towards the things you want to achieve. That's so true. The book, I would say, is well-constructed, you know, because my daughter was going to take, you know, she's, <laughs> you know, the book is well-constructed. You didn't just provide words of affirmation. You also provide space for journaling. Why do you think journaling is important form of affirmation? Yeah, I think journaling is very important because it allows you to, like, process all the things that is going on in your head. If you don't want to talk about it with someone, at least talk about it with yourself. Mm -hmm. It can also give you space to like really reflect and evaluate, you know, if you're not where you want to be in life. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, what's going on in my life? How can I get there? It can give you space to plan, to really think, to clear your head, clear your heart. That stuff is just so important when it comes to wanting to manifest the way you want your life to be. So that's very important. And I was reading part of it when you said I'm breaking generational courses by healing myself. That's so powerful mm-hmm. because a lot of time we are brought up in a culture whereby we are not even brought up to look at the past, mm-hmm. to look at what it must have been done to us as a child. Mm-hmm. But we tend to normalize the trauma that has happened to us and claim that is what makes us strong today. Oh, see, because there's a lot of pride in being like, oh, I survived this, I survived that, which, okay, yes, it is great. You should be very proud of yourself in surviving things. But when you have to survive things, you also build up a hard shell. You also build up habits and things that may not be healthy. And, you know, I feel like the last time we talked about like, you know, parents like not really listening to their children and validating their experiences. (laughs) And and that is a generational trauma and not feeling heard by your parent and Mm -hmm. can lead to you not listening to yourself and ignoring your own stuff. Yes. Yeah. What you just said now is so powerful because when you think that you went through a childhood experience where you've not been listened to, nobody pay attention to you. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to your children, when they complain, you don't feel like, you know, is a big mm-hmm. deal. What are they complaining about? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. something that you feel like, you know, you might dismiss their struggle or the experience mm-hmm. that they're having because you were never been brought up to have anything to complain about. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's mm-hmm. so powerful. Another one that I saw there, I let go of my desire for struggle, love. (laughs) Yes. And that actually relates to African women who believe that they have to have to struggle. Okay. The marriage. They have to keep up with with infidelity, Mm -hmm. uh, being lied to, hit, all these type of things. Yeah, I feel like as a culture, I think across the African diaspora, especially with the women, it is expected that you got to keep your man on the continent, on Africa, in the United States, in Brazil, you know, wherever we are across the African diaspora, I feel like there's this message that you need to keep your man, you need to keep your husband, you need to keep your partner, even if he does X, Y, Z, even if he disrespects you. 
it's very harmful because then you're disrespecting yourself mm-hmm. and you're not being able to have the kind of love that you want. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we, you know, society glorifies going through a lot with someone, mm-hmm. sacrificing your own needs for the sake of, I'm only talking about heterosexual relationships here, but in the terms of like making sure your man matures and grows and is well taken care of, even if that means you are not happy, you are not satisfied, but as long as your husband or your boyfriend or whatever is happy, then that's okay. And um, I feel like that's just dangerous language and we need to stop that. (laughs) It's a horrible message. It's a horrible message. It's even worse when it comes to African tradition and culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. In terms of, you know, women actually be the police person for each other. Mm -hmm. Against one another and said, you know, at this age, you haven't have a man. You know, you are not married yet or you separated from abusive marriage. You know, they Mm -hmm. are the first to actually call you on. Mm-hmm. And said, you know, you know, you're going to be alone for mm-hmm. the rest of your life. Why are you walking away from this marriage? You could still, let's keep praying on the man. <laughs> okay. Maybe one day it will change. Right. But why do you have to stay for that? <laughs> you know, it's something that if you live in Nigeria, you will really understand. I've heard stories of women who were not married and they're going to a conference. They are professionals in their rights, in their own rights. And they will find a wedding ring just to put on, just to gain respect. Wow. Wow. Just when they get to the event, so that somebody will look at at their finger and say, oh, okay, she's married. Right. Because there is a certain level of societal prize. Is that the right word? There's like a prize and also like wealth. There's societal wealth. Mm -hmm, That comes into that. When you are like, I'm married. I have a married. Let me tell you a joke. Years ago, I was going to apply for Nigerian passport. So they said apply online. So I went online to apply. I saw they have acronym or whatever you want to call it, Mr. Then they have M-I-A-S-S, Miss. <laughs> then they have doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I called them and I told them none of all these things that you put here applies to me. Mm-hmm. And then they have Mrs. M-R-S. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I called them. I said, I cannot put any one of these as my identification because nothing relates to me here. Mm-hmm. So the person I spoke to, she said, then put a doctor. I said, but I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't put Mr. And I can't put M-I-S-S because mm-hmm. I'm not. And I'm not M-R-S because right. I'm not married. Mm-hmm. So I said, so this is the problem for me to fill out this application. Because if I come to your front, Unless I call Mr. Because that's the only thing I want to put right now. Mm -hmm. I I want to call myself (laughs) Mr. So Mm -hmm. that's to tell you how the society Mm -hmm. sees women. You know, the kind of status where they put women. Mm -hmm. That if you're not married, if you don't have a husband, you know, there's something wrong. And then we put the same pressure on our children. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I hear it. My dad is very good about it. He doesn't really like pressure me, but he'll like bring it up like his sisters and his, my aunts. Okay. They will bring it up. They're like, oh, when, you know, when's your wedding? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> they will pray. They will pray. They will tell you they pray. Yes, they do. They they do tell me that. Yes, praying for my husband. <laughs> they praying for you. Okay. <laughs> but I just want to tell you, in Yoruba culture, we have affirmation. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you are aware of it. Maybe. I suspected so. We have affirmations. I mean, I feel like our names are affirmations, right? Yes. yes. Oh, and yeah. th- th- there's affirmations that comes in form of poetry. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I just want to bring that to you because, you know, I like it when many of our second generation do things and I want to be able to connect them to the culture. Wow. That, you know, this is part, also part of the culture as, as well. Absolutely. So, Affirmation is very important to the Yoruba culture. Going back to the Yoruba cultural heritage, mm-hmm. saying daily affirmation to one's is form of a ritual that pertains to that culture. The affirmation comes in sometimes in form of oriki. I don't know whether yes, you know oriki. I've heard of oriki. Uh-huh. Oriki is a oral praise poetry that is said directly to you that entails your community your lineage, your ancestor descend them from generation to generation. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's chanted to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Every morning. <laughs> yeah. Supposing your grandmother is there. Yes. <laughs> your, your grandmother there, you know, Oludara woke up in the morning and you said, good morning, grandma. And she's chanting the Oriki around you while yes. you're walking around so loudly. <laughs> you know, to you. Sometimes, it, you know, it makes you feel like you have a goosebump. One thing about the Yoruba I will give the credit to, let's assume even you, you might have brothers who are married or mm-hmm. uncles who are married. And when Oludara comes up and every one of their wives sees you, they are chanting the Oriki to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are pra- <laughs> they're praising you. I don't know whether you've experienced that. But- I have. <laughs> I definitely have, and definitely, have. and even with like children who were born, uh-huh. I've definitely witnessed that and experienced that yeah. with the multiple names. And yeah, I feel like affirmations, whatever we call them, orikis, oriki, yeah, is our own form of affirm. And there are names that are attached to affirmation mm. because apart from you being Oludara. I know you might have heard the name Aduke, Ashabi. Those are the names that will be invoked into the Oriki and they will say to you, to say, this is actually for you. So it's very... (laughs) Wow, I love it. So so that's very important to our heritage and the culture. So what other projects are you working on now? Right now, it's just book... You know, I might be doing some articles, maybe work on my third book. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't wait for that. So how can our listener get this book and how can they connect with you, maybe online, whether through social media or other ways of connection? Yeah, you can connect with me, Oludara Adio, on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and that's really it. And yeah, and the book will be pushing. Yeah, and the book is available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, other smaller bookstores, Black-owned bookstores. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. available everywhere. So is there anything else I haven't covered that you think you could give a tip a little bit to our listener? 
Well, I would just say to embrace rest Hmm. as a whole. I feel like for me personally, that's where I am right now. I'm really trying to not be burnt out. So I want to encourage other people to embrace restful living because stress is killing us and it's very important for us to resist the need to just be stressed out. Yeah, thank you so much for that final statement. So Pansa Pansa continue to normalize conversation about the importance of community engagement about African immigrant experiences in America and in the diaspora, because everybody is listening to this. So as we publicly continue to discuss difficult issues within our community, we're shredding away stigma associated with uncomfortable dialogue. I really want to thank you, Oludara Adeyeyo, Mm-hmm. For this wealth of knowledge you brought to our audience regarding the importance of self-care and practicing daily affirmation, which are also form of mental health care. Yes. Mm-hmm. I encourage our listeners to get copies of this book for yourself, copies, copies for yourself and for other people as well. You know, give this as a gift. And mm-hmm. I know people will really appreciate it because there's so much to gain from the book. I'm really, I'm outlining, doing everything I can. <laughs> in the and I'm going to get more copies as well. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming to come and talk to me about this book tonight. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Ponzo Ponzo Live Podcast. We hope to have you back with us in the next episode as we continue to explore the nuances of the African immigrant experience. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at talk at ponsoponso.org. That is T-A-L-K at P-A-N-S-A, P-A-N-S-A dot org. And follow us on Instagram at ponsa.ponsoforum. Until next time, remember to spread kindness and love. Thank you and take care of yourselves.